Blog Talk Radio. His name is Q, breaking down every single sport for you. On Thursday nights from 8 to 10, we are the true voice of the fans, so you know we always win. From hoops to football, the video games, baseball, hockey, the NCAA. We give our side, cause that's all we know. This is a labor of love, that's why we do this show. From the Merlin Mitten to the Sunshine State, we can talk all day about who's great. Give us a call anytime, 760-539-3269. You know if we could, we would do this every day. Welcome to this episode of Sports Q&A. Sports Q&A. Sports Q&A. Sports Q&A. We are the true voice of the fans. Sports Q and A. Sports Q and A. We are the true voice of the fans. What's good, sports fans? Welcome to another edition of Sports Q and A. I'm Q, and I'm A, and it is May thirty first, two thousand seventeen. Last day of May of this year. Coming with a special edition of Sports Q&A on Wednesday. But before we get into the particulars and dive in with both feet, let's talk about how you can get in contact with us. You can check us out on Facebook, the Facebook page, L-O-W-E, the letter N, Washington, the Facebook group, Sports Q&A, the Facebook fan page, Sports Q&A. Also, you can check us out on Twitter, Sports underscore Q-A. Also, sports underscore QA underscore preps. Check us out on the gram, sports underscore QA. Check us out on our webpage, which is www.sportsqanda.com. That is www.sportsqanda.com. And last but not least, give us a call tonight on the air, 760-539-3269. That is 760 760- Five three nine thirty two sixty nine. What's good, Mr. Lowe? Not much, Mr. Washington. Long time no speak as far as sports Q and A. We've been out of commission. Yeah, we've been out of commission since since the draft. We feel like the the draft exhausted every aspect of us. We had some conflicts and some other things, but we back here, back on the air. Want to make sure we got to you this week because we let some stuff slide, some big stuff. We didn't, we didn't even recap the draft and how we did and all the grades and all that good stuff. If we got some time, we may debut into that. But we got a loaded slate today talking about NBA, talking about Tiger Woods, y'all, talking about uh, Megatron and his words about the, the Tigers and baseball. The rules, the regulations, what goes, what doesn't go. But we're going to start it off first. Our point, counterpoint. Our point, counterpoint 
It's very simple. Who will win the NBA championship? Bottom line. I'm going to defer the cue, and I'm just going to go off his point and give counterpoint to whatever whatever side he is. So I'm going to give him carte blanche to be able to go ahead and decide who he feels is going to win. Um, I got to go, despite what everybody else is, a lot of the people, the talking heads, the, the media are saying, Vegas is saying, I got to go with the champs. I got to go with Cleveland. Um, I just think that even with how they finished the season, how they even let Boston get that one game, this was all a build-up to this moment. LeBron is focused, and he realizes there's a – this is the first time when people were talking about this. How is a champion underdog? But we have one in this case, and we have a a not-so-small David against a big Goliath. And I think because of this, I think LeBron is going to come prepared. Kyrie is going to come prepared. Kevin Love is going to come prepared. And the Cavs are going to come prepared. They they realize that this is a uh, – they got past Golden State last year. Some will say because of the suspension of Draymond Green, because of Harrison Barnes basically disappearing and Steph Curry being hobbled. None of that is true. They bring in a loaded gun with KD, and everybody has basically handed them the championship, but a few of us. And I just think that because LeBron is that X factor, he's going to be ready. He's going to be the guy that when they need that that key play, and you see I didn't say bucket because a lot of people think, oh, in order to be a killer, you have to take the last shot. No. To be a close or even be a closer, you have to take the last shot. No, you have to put your team in the best position to win. Is that a sh- is that shooting? Sometimes it is. Is that making the key pass? Definitely sometimes. It may even be a screen. It may be a, a block like he did last year against Andre Iguodala. Those are the moments and the plays that put you into that stratosphere of ultimate superstar. And LeBron has proved it. I. I I think fans get so enamored with the last-second shot. Oh, Kyrie is the closer. Kyrie takes all the big shots, but he's still not the best player on the team. So I'm thinking Cleveland is going to get this done. It's going to go seven. We're going to get our money's worth. We haven't gotten it. None was playoff, but we're going to get our money's worth and on this on the biggest stage, and I'm just excited to see it. Well, I mean – you, you had some good points, and I, and I think the first thing I want to say is, however it was done by design, by plan, whatever, the NBA got his wish, um, and they got the, the rubber match of this back-to-back-to-back uh, NBA Finals, which has not happened since Lakers Celtics. What was it, 84, 85, 86, 87? Is that right? I think that's right. I had to look I back. I think so. Yeah, I'm going off. I'm going off straight memory. I, there was no pre-research on that, so if I did that, I'm pretty good uh, just for the day. But um, to me, I think it's going to come down to <clears throat> matchups. Yes, LeBron is uncheckable and he can do a lot of things. But when you look at 
and there's no, I mean, there's nobody that's canceling out LeBron. Uh, you know, even Steph is not checking LeBron. Uh, LeBron may check him in spurts, but nobody who's canceling out LeBron. But the thing is, is when you look at those matchups and see what they have, I just think that <clears throat> the depth uh, of Golden State puts them ahead. I think the one thing with Cleveland is, and we talked about this when LeBron, uh, when when they played in the first series, I talked about how LeBron had to be the LeBron that we saw in Cleveland the first time or go around when he had to be all everything. I think he's back. He's back to that same to that same pot, uh, spot now because he has to be all and everything in order for this to occur. He also has to have his his support staff which he has a, a a great support staff for them to be able to step up and play a game. I mean, I think it's really going to come down is who will not meet the expectation. Um, and I'll get into later on when we really break it down, the X factors of who I feel will make the difference. But because of the matchups and because of the one element that I think Cleveland doesn't have too much, as much as Golden State does is, who can have that breakout game at any moment? I mean, if Cleveland, are you really counting on Richard Jefferson to have the type of finals that he had last year? If you are, you are sadly uh, you're going to be sadly disappointed. Uh, I think he drank all of the, all the water out of the fountain of youth uh, last year. But the thing is, is that when Golden State, you have a young enough cast, and you have people that be that have done it in different opportunities, whereas they just figure out how to get it done. Um, KD provides a great benefit, uh, but I don't think he's going to be the X factor. I think the X factor, and I'll go in deeper when we go in breakdown, is going to be Clay Thompson for uh, uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, because his ability to score. But number two, in order to win, I'm going to say it right now, Golden State has to find a way to get him his shots. Right now, he's content with just getting just enough, but he has to be that number three option, and a lot of times he is falling back and not being able to uh, in the playoffs being that, that true number three option. So KD kind of takes over and takes that role that he used to have because uh, that's just KD's nature and how he plays the game. But they have to find a way to keep him involved and make the the, the, the matchups in their advantage, especially offensively late in the game, where you can have a situation where somebody doesn't switch or somebody does and he either makes the shot or makes that pass to get get the clutch take. I don't necessarily think it's going to go to seven. I just think that's what the story – this storybook is going to seven. But I just think that neither one of their paths were tough or rough. Yeah, Boston – I mean, Boston got a win, but it was really nothing. It was like a moral victory. Like that was the victory for them for the series – uh, for Isaiah Thomas, if you saw the, the meme that somebody had with Boston raising the the the, the fake championship banner and say at least we didn't get swept. I mean, when have you ever heard of number one seed that that be that rally cry? Granted, Isaiah Thomas had tragedy losing his sister and um, losing his sister and getting injured, and they did the smart thing just by sitting him out um, when they realized they had no chance. But uh, I just think that Golden State just provides too many matchups, and you you can 
kind of roll the Rolodex, uh, I mean, spin the uh, ro- uh, uh, roulette wheel to figure out who's going to pick your poison for the day when you go to state. To me, and then you, you know, some people, almost, this is my last thing, some people going to say that coaches play a big difference. Cleveland, I mean, uh, Golden State has a coaching advantage, even with Mike Brown there. Just his experience and quite as kept. They got some, Mike Brown is a person that probably got the most skin in this game and can benefit the most by winning the championship on multiple levels. So, I mean, and, and you know, Cleveland did win the championship, not taking that away from But how many people give Cleveland full credit for that? And they would say, well, if Draymond didn't get suspended in game six, they wouldn't have won. This is the one. I mean, but we, noise. Can, we can play no, that I agree. with I'm a could have should Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I'm just saying people are saying that to discredit it. This is right now, barring injuries, is the no excuses rubber match. And this is what you, the NBA can't hope for anything else. Now, the one thing the NBA has to address is, yes, they wanted parity. Yes, they have an overabundance of parity. And now you have a lackluster product. And these two teams... You, who wants to see this for the next two years? I don't. I mean, and from time to time, you want to see an underdog step up and, and or a team like Boston, how they're doing, work their way up and then get over there to the championship and then lose and then come back and and, and win that type of that type of thing. You don't want to see this because this is what the CBA was created to 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 break up to filibuster this dang on super teams. But these teams have found a way to be able to keep it going. And for all intents and purposes, until one of the big three, which is probably KD, who wants to re-up, or it's time to re-up, they can stay together if they want to. So, I, I mean, the thing is, is yes, you got the two best teams. That's what you want. Uh, it's going to probably be the most entertaining. They're closer together than anything else. But I'm – and granted, I'm not answering. I mean, I answered the question, but I'm going way beyond. It's just uh, a lot to be desired outside of this matchup. I mean, if this is the case, you could just say, all right, we're not playing the playoffs. We're just going to play this game or this series. But, I mean, I, I look at it, and injuries play the factor in the, the conference, excuse me, the conference finals. I mean, Kawhi doesn't get hurt. That changes the outlook to that series. I think Isaiah Thomas, even though they he, they shut him down, that impacted some things. So you have a handful of teams in the NBA. You have San Antonio. You have possibly Houston out the West. Uh, you have Boston. You have Washington coming up. And, I mean, for all intents and purposes, that's how it's been in the NBA. Every era has generally had two or three teams, maybe four in the in, in the good set in the good timing, that really were on each side of the conference. You never had six, seven, eight teams that were legitimately good. I mean, going back like you said with the eighties with the Celtics and the Lakers. How many teams you know could trade for a finals MVP? Boston did it when they got Dennis Johnson from Seattle. So or Look at how L.A. finessed their way into some of the, the moves and the trades to build that team. Yes, it's not the free agency way, but this whole thing of, oh, these super teams are something new, it's a farce. I mean, Charles Barkley chased the ring 
from the East Coast to the West Coast. You had Carl Malone chasing the ring. You had Gary Payton chasing the ring until he finally got one in, in Miami. So, I mean, it, it's just one of those things where I think everybody is, is uh, creatures of the moment and they're seeing the product now, but forgetting the 15-win the, the Timberwolves teams and the, the Vancouver Grizzlies that were horrible during the, the early 90s and think, oh, this is just a bad stage. No, it's it's – it's, it's cyclical, and when LeBron retires, the Cavs are going to come back down to earth, and there's going to be another team. When Steph decides to move on and go back home to Charlotte, that may push them up. I mean, anything's possible. But I got to talk about something you said about Golden State bench. What bench? They don't have a bench. Who? You can't even, outside of Andre Iguodala and David West, they have nobody. And I think you, you mentioned Richard Jefferson. Oh, oh, he can't re- recreate the final youth. He doesn't have to. They got Kyle Corver now that has that, oh, I need a championship hunger inside of him. And he hasn't really stepped up all playoffs. So I think he's going to be the guy. He's the X factor because they haven't really needed him to hit those big threes. But he's going to play the Mike Miller role from when LeBron was in Miami, and that's what's going to be the dividends right there. But, I mean, you mentioned, mentioned the benches, and the thing is, if you look at the other side, I'm, I'm looking at benches and matchups, and I'm looking at, at success and what they do. You got Sean Livingston. Granted, he, he is is a, 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 a shot over his former self, but in key positions, he can provide good ma- matchups advantages against Cleveland's bench. Kyle Corver is still, I don't care whatever anybody says, he's still a streaky shooter. How many times has Kyle Corver taken over games? Richard Jefferson took over games last year in the finals, so it's different. But then when you look at, at who you have, you went David West. You said David West. Oops, what did I do? Uh, you had David West and you had um, Iguodala. That's huge. Those guys would be starting in any other team. So when you look at the bench on Cleveland. I, mean, I don't know I'm, about that. Not, this, not anymore. They, I mean, they okay, I would say 80% of the teams in the NBA, they would start them. Nah, you look um, at I say you look you look. Mm-mm. So you look at, 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 at David West, huh? I said we don't disagree on that because David West couldn't even get in the rotation with San Antonio last year. Wait, that's true. But once again, how many people? I mean, you look at. I, I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not saying that he. I'm, he. Uh, he's the the who he was when he started in his career. What I'm saying is, matchup-wise, he should have the advantage against whoever checks him. In a, he's not going to have the advantage over uh, who's guarding him on on the matchup. Over Derrick Williams, the guy who was out the league? Over Channing Fry. That's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm talking about guarding, talking even about, though he's I'm not saying he's not averaging 20 and 10. I, all, you need, all you need him to average you 10 and 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 between five and eight rebounds, he can give you that. But I'm, I'm not saying these guys are dominant. I'm talking about matchups because at the end of the day, there's going to be a push between certain production between certain players. It may not be the same players all day long, but I'm talking about those matchups and those times when guys are either in foul trouble or need to take a break. Who's going to fill in that gap when you have those lulls? You can't have a a three, five-minute spell of of scoring little points against a team like Golden State who can put up points in fast. 
Go uh, Cleveland put up game uh, points and fast off off the transition game. Their half court game is atrocious outside of LeBron handling what he's doing. So what I'm saying is, I'm just talking about strictly matchups. I'm not saying again David West is going to dominate and be averaging 20 and, and 15. No, I'm saying if the, if he can ma- give you and, and maintain or keep you close to the lead and to get you into that fourth quarter position. Or step up if there's foul trouble with your starting five, which he can do. He still have a, a, a push with whoever's checking him in that starting lineup, and a, and a plus for whoever is from the reserves. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying this dude is David West of old, because um, he's not. He's like, sadly, don't kill me, Detroit fans. He's like Antonio McDice was. When that back went bad, everything was all bad. As dominant and as physically intimidating as he was, he was a totally different player and was never the same. But yet still, we wanted him to be the same, but he wasn't. But he could do it in spurts. Do it in spurts. But, you know, we can agree to disagree regarding that. But, I mean, Cleveland's bench is weak, too. If you if you took the yeah, Crowders away, here's a question. Got, if you took the Crowders away, Took the starters away, which bench would you want? You took your starters away, which bench do you want? So you got on Cleveland, you got Richard Jefferson, um, Who's Aaron Williams, uh, uh, Kyle Corver, Darren Williams, who else? Uh, Iman Shumpert, Derek Williams. Okay, I guess it's one of those things where it's unknown until it happens because Patrick McCall, this would be his first finals, and this is a guy that's getting, I think, the last game he played 15 to 20 minutes. Do you really trust a, a unknown second, first and second year player to play big minutes in the finals? It depends on what, the, what you're doing those big minutes. All I'm saying, all I'm saying is this, is that it's, it's matchups. And what I'm saying is in those opportunities – who can who can win? Who's gonna create those matchups? It's gonna be somebody that's not a star player that's gonna create and have the series of their life. But who creates that opportunity? Which of those? Which one of those players are gonna are gonna be able to have that? And just looking at it on paper, it looks like even though Golden State's bench is not is about just as deep as Cleveland's bench, that Golden State has a better opportunity to do that because at the end of the day. I mean, if both teams are relying on their starting five, it's, it's going to be a tragic. I mean, and, and once again, on which team, how many teams, are you playing five on four on, with, with, with both starting fives or five on three? Who Who's the push? Now, I think you're probably playing four on three when you look at nah, the starting it's, it's four on four. The center's out, and it's balanced everywhere else. Well, Kevin Love, you taking Kevin Love out? No. Kevin Love is playing Draymond. So you taking Tristan Thompson out and you taking um what's the dude um the uh, So you taking so you taking them out. Oh, so then you also have an additional player which you always need if you're gonna beat LeBron as a rim protector. With your favorite player and his mama, JaVale McGee. 
<laughs> Leave my baby alone. I mean, um, I say, I'm just saying, you don't need him to be. Huh? I said, if he can harness his energy, there's already been some some hate being spewed from the Cleveland uh, locker room talking about he doesn't even have the smarts to play in the NBA or definitely not in the finals. So I think that may have motivated him. That may motivate him, but it also could cause him to go over and overextending himself as far as what he knows his limitations are. So, I mean, it's it's one of those yeah, things. And we'll, and I, I, we'll see. Yeah. Go ahead. We'll see what it looks like. And I was just saying, we'll see what it looks like. I mean, it's, it, it's nothing that's set in stone. I'm not, I wouldn't bet money on, on any one of the role players um, to have that career game. But, I mean, it is it is a toss up. But if you just look at those players and those players' name and what they've done, who who would you just blindly, regardless of team, would you have more faith there? And looking at Golden State folks, I got a little more faith in them. I ain't saying there's a lot. I just say a little more. Yeah. But I mean, it's a it's a good conversation. I mean, I I barely watched. The, I mean, this was that's the opposite of what last year's playoff was, where I was engaged as series got better. And outside of what, the Milwaukee, uh, was it Milwaukee-Washington series? Was that the seven-game mm-hmm. series? Outside of that, everything else was pretty much a dud. Um, you had the have versus the have-nots, the up-and-coming, that had clearing holes against refined teams and that was pretty much it. I mean, to the point, literally, the Cleveland-Boston series, every game that I tried to turn to, I always look at the preview on, on my cable provider, and they'll show me the score and everything else before I sit watch. And when that one game with Cleveland, Boston was down 30 at the half, 71 to something. I'm like, dude, what is this? This is the conference <laughs> This is the conference finals. Like the gold, the the uh, the uh, San Antonio Golden State game was entertaining. You know, you had Golden State come back from the big lead when Kawhi got hurt. Then you had can San Antonio play above and beyond uh, with missing two of their key players. Everybody won't forget Tony Parker being hurt too. Um, right. But they played well. I, I'm not going to say they would have won, but they would have won some games, at least two games in the series if Kawhi would have been healthy, at least two. Because his matching up against him was almost impossible on there because they, they can't, hold, can't hold him. So it's just, a, it's just a, again, not going to knock the NBA off his – you can't knock them off, off their, 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 their little pedestal right now because he's going a day away from the finals. But looking at everything as a whole, this has been a dud – and another – NBA, y'all lucky I'm not in my same mindset that I was two, three years ago because I would spend this whole first 30-minute segment land-blasting the NBA on what it's not. But I'm chilling and just saying that it needs to lead itself in a better position than where it is right now. But uh, I mean, I, watch- I think when you look at next year's teams – Unless something major happens, you still have half the league 
being competitive. You look at Milwaukee, what they're developing with Greek the Freak. Um, if um, old boy from Duke, I can't. I'm drawing a blank. Could come back from another knee injury. That's oh, they have some pieces there. Um, you have Philadelphia, depending on who they get with this third pick, they may finally be willing to uh, turn the corner if they point guard or have some stability at the point guard position. Um, you look at Washington. Um, hopefully they get things together before John Wall decides to get too frustrated and bolts. Because I, I like Washington. John Wall is one of my favorite players to watch. Um, and just seeing where they're going, they have a, a couple of key pieces. They just need some stability. You look at, even though they missed the playoffs last year, this season in Miami, how they finished. If they're one or two pieces away as far as young talent, then, I mean, head, heading out west. I always root for Portland, Dame Lillard, those guys. Nurkish going down, hurt them. If they can find one more piece, and it's ironic, just imagine if LaMarcus Aldridge was on that team. And he left because he didn't think they were going to be competitive. But if he goes back there, he's he's playing the four, his natural position, Yerkes at the five, McCollum at the uh, three, Dame at the one, and you put anybody, Aminu can play the three and just be your hustle guy, that's a legitimate three or four seed in the West. So it's just it's, yeah. it's crazy. And we got to see what's going to happen with the Clippers. Are they going to blow that team up? And I got to ask you this. Should they blow that team up, or is this a one last try, one last cry attempt for them to be – to to try to get over the hump with CP3, Blake, and Doc Rivers? Um, if they blow it up, they're going to go back to being the Clippers of old. Um, because unless you trade away some big pieces, um, it, you I mean, you basically at the will of Chris Paul right now. What are you going to do with him? Are you going to trade him? I mean – and who knows? Well, the NBA may not block it like they blocked his free agent signing. No, that was a trade to, to Lakers, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, he's a free agent oh. this year. He he can oh, yeah, be so, a free agent. Right. So the thing is, is that it kind of lies on what he thinks is what they're doing. But the thing is, they can. I mean, their window of opportunity of being a legitimate championship contender, I think, was two years ago. I think the window is closing. To me, they're very reminiscent of the Pistons with less success. Because they got to the Western Conference Championship once, or did they even make it no, to the Western Conference haven't. Championship? No, they haven't. So that, so the, the, their success is, oh man, I'm using a lot of stuff that I may disrespect some fans with, but their success is very similar to Lions' success, comparing their, themselves to themselves instead of comparing themselves to the rest of the league. This is the best Clippers team that we've had in the history of the Clippers, but all we've gotten is to the second round. That's not really saying much. It's not really doing much, but if you blow this team up, you basically are back to even where the Lakers are right now, being second fiddle, being rebuilt, and with really little or no hope for the future, unless you trade your big pieces for some number one draft picks and you do a full hard reset. Doing a soft reset with the Clippers is not going to work because you look at the pieces that you have. I mean, you look at uh, Jamal Crawford, the key piece in there. You look at at Blake. You look at 
Jordan. You look at uh, Baby Doc. You know, you look at these guys in other situations. It's like a perfect storm. Like they, they can only. I think it's like uh, the episode of uh, The Simpsons when uh, Mr. Burns went to the hospital, and he was like, "I think I'm gonna die." And he was like, "You got every ailment that it is. So if we fix something, you are gonna die." So it's kind of like if you try to change something up, it's going to die. It's going to have to be the rebirth of the Clippers, and it's going to be back to them being the laughing stock of the league because I just think there's no true foundation. Who can you get rid of to rebuild and still have a true foundation? Are you building around DeAndre Jordan? Is Blake going to want to be built rebuilt around? Is, uh, is Chris Paul want to be built around? Because you look at these and you look at these – the situations, even though Blake is injury played, he's still top five power forward in the league. At least now. So what 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 are you gonna do? I think they have to hold their cards, hope that they can either acquire, get somebody to come and want to play and team up with them, or luck up and get somebody to drop in the draft. I mean, I think that's the only option that they have. If Chris Paul goes, sell, sell, sell. I'm selling the name, I'm selling the stadium, I'm selling everything and starting over because it won't be worth it. Because they're going to go back to being Laker fans and Clippers games so they can boo. Right. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. It's definitely going to be an interesting season. What's going to happen with Paul George? What's going to happen with um, Melo? What's going to happen with CP3? Um, I've heard reports recently come out as of yesterday that the Pistons are shopping the number 12 pick in hopes of getting a a prominent player so they can contend now. And I'm thinking what you just said about the Clippers. I'm like, are they in a position to go all in? Do they have enough talent besides, say, they trade Reggie Jackson and maybe uh, John Lure? Do they have enough talent still on that roster to go all in? I don't see it. They still have some some square pegs and round circles and things like that where it's like, okay, is Stanley Johnson a long-term option at the three? Is um, some of these other young players, Darren Hillier, is, are these guys legitimate pieces? Are they going – what can they do with Andre Drummond? There are too many questions to say, oh, we're going to trade this pick and try to acquire an aging superstar like a Carmelo to go all in. I mean, we saw this before with AI. I mean, true enough, we're not giving up a a, a key piece like Tonsi Billups, but is this going to work and is this not going to put us back two or three steps once he decides, okay, I'm done playing? Yeah, it's – I mean, you got a lot of teams in that type of situation that are not as talented as the Clippers. I just really, really want to hear how motivating these GMs are to get somebody in that organization to believe in what they actually have. Um, because you don't have that many superior superior coaches. You have a lot of teams that are either really young or have aging superstars or players. You just really don't have too many teams that are in a situation like Washington or Boston. That's kind of, I mean, you have other teams that are like, oh, well, if they add this and add that, well, that's pretty much every other team in the league. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. It's it's, it's just interesting 
it's going to be interesting to see what it is. And once again, this draft outside of the top couple of players, depending on where you are, I mean, the top players are point guards. So what impact are you, you know, are you looking for these guys, these point guards to have? And these other guys who a lot of them are tweeners, well, hell, the majority of the NBA are tweeners now. I don't think it's true, any true position players left out there. Uh, but it's just uh, making teams better nowadays in the NBA, I think, is harder than any other any other league. Uh, because in hockey, you could just suck and just build up through the draft or trade your good players and draft players. And these young guys have been playing on professional or in minor league players, I mean, leagues enough that they can come in and contribute on a larger scale. And we're looking at that in Detroit within the Red Wings. And in the NFL, is, I think, is the opportunity to turn around the quickest if you get the right scheme, the right key players, and either you're going to be try to be dominant on offense or on defense, you can get yourself in a better position. And in baseball, it's the same thing. You get a string of somebody having some good years. You determine what type of game you play. Play that to the best of your ability, and you get yourself into that winning situation. So, but in the NBA, it's much more difficult unless you have some. It's, it's a player-driven league. You gotta have yeah. the players because of the roster being down to 15 compared to 53 for the NFL. You're more dependent on the success of one or two players, or maybe three, depending on the team to carry you. Whereas, like you said, with the NFL. A good, a very, you put a great coach, great scheme on some okay talent, you can win nine, ten games. You can't put great coaching on average players in the NBA. You need, it's the exact opposite. Give me great players and average coaching. I mean, we saw it last year with the NBA championship. Uh, Tyron Lue was not a upper tier quality coach but they still got the job done because they had the talent on the court. So this is going to be interesting. And before we go into breaks, I know we went over, I got to ask you about, because you mentioned the NFL draft, you mentioned the hockey draft and the NBA lottery. Should the NBA get rid of the lottery? Uh, no, I don't think they should. Uh, it, add, it adds a level of entry um, when you just look at this year, what top three picks are some of your, well, two of your most storied programs, and one that people claim to be story, but it's been kind of irrelevant for the last 30 years outside of a brief stint with AI, the 76ers. You, um, I mean, you got to give people the shot, but I don't think you should just go straight with the, you know, this is, you know, that worst record because then you really, because, NBA, you think people are tanking the NBA now? I mean, you have half of the league that legitimately doesn't have a shot to win the championship. So if you have a a, a, a top uh, upper level management that says, "Hey, we just gonna tank so we can add to what we, you know, we're middle of the road, but you give us a star player, number one draft pick, we can definitely jump and be in that top third." You you'll see that more and more often. Um, if people play like that, I mean, you know, if they really run their teams like that, which the popular voice really kind of says that they do. I don't really buy into that mindset, but a lot of people do to try to improve. I just don't think that's the way. You got to just be smart with what you're doing. 
contracts really shouldn't play a big part in the NBA anymore based on the CBA. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't think they need to get rid of it, but <laughs> the only way you can improve the NBA draft is to mandate the players stay in longer to develop. That's pretty much it. And, I mean, that's that's the they're the worst they're their worst on enemy with that because if these guys weren't showing up at high school basketball games, showing up at AAU tournaments for these prospective one and dones, they wouldn't think they had a shot. Let them go to school. Don't. I mean, it's like you don't pay them attention. They don't think they're worthy. Like we hype them up, and this is one of those. It's a catch twenty two. If you don't go, you miss out on the talent. But if you go, you're enticing them to think that they're ready to go when they're really not. This um, is, and it's not. It's nothing that the. I understand the rule, but I think baseball has the best rule set in place. Let them go straight from high school, but really solidify and establish the D league. Make them spend a full year, if not more, in the D league. I mean, don't even put on an NBA jersey. Don't even let them see the facility. They're going straight to the 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 D League affiliate as a rookie. Let them buy mm-hmm. that time there if they go straight from high school. If they decide to go to college, they got to spend three years. And and from there, it, it, it is what it is. Then you improve the the quality of of game on both sides, because think about it. Most of these t- players that leave after their freshman year, or even their sophomore year, they're not contributing until their second, third, or fourth year, this, the third or fourth year in the NBA, which would have put them at juniors or seniors in college. So right. it's like, okay, you look at it like, oh, they're, sit- they're getting the experience on one hand, but they're not contributing. So by the time they're ready to contribute, their rookie contract is up. You run a risk. Now you've got to decide, do I overpay this guy, this time, this this player, when I'm not really sure he's a superstar, but I can't afford to lose him. But if I don't pay him, he goes to another team, blossoms, and I'm screwed because I done wasted a draft pick for nothing. Right. And, I mean, and you you see that? we we You can go over the drafts. From back when after when Garnett was drafted of the the high schoolers and then now it's the first year guys who declare who don't sniff an NBA roster. Talented. All American, all this, all that. But they listen to the wrong person and now you have no chance to develop. Um do I guess they well, I guess they do. If they get signed by Tim, but I say, do they get opportunity in the D League? But yeah, they do. But that's on a small level. So, but with that, we're gonna go and take our first little break, and we shall be back momentarily after this very, very short break and hearing from our sponsors. This half-hour sports Q and A has been brought to you by Crush Media Group, Progressive Greek, Next Step Mentoring. Ticket wave and fan siding. Welcome back to Sports Q and A. We're in the second half hour. It is eight forty-four in the PM. 
Wednesday, May 31st, 2017. Give us a call at 760-539-3269, 760-539-3269. So, we're going to step away from the NBA, come back near the end of the show, and kind of give us our, give the breakdowns. But, we got to talk about this. Uh, got some opinions about it. Tiger, Tiger Woods, y'all. Tiger Woods is in the news again for another non for non golf related incident, which the situation has a lot of intrigue to it. Tiger Woods was pulled over in Juniper, Florida, uh, for suspected DUI. Um, the uh, dash cam footage was released. Uh, he blew a 0.0 on the breathalyzer, so it wasn't alcohol. He has, I believe, two prescriptions and was taking another medicine. Uh, but he, based on reports, appeared to be incoherent. Uh, 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, so my question is, and I, and I got like a four-fold question, so we'll take this piece by piece. But my question is, when it came to Tiger Wood, is, is this a cry out for help from him? That's the first question, in your opinion. Um, I don't think it's a cry out in the sense of he recognizes it, but I think it's one of those, those around him need to, to heed this, the, the actions of him and kind of step towards it. Because I think this is the ego of the the professional athlete. I may not be on the top of my game, but I still have control. I still am who I am, and I'm gonna do what I have to do to kind of get by and get back to who I think I should be, even though that ship has sailed <laughs> a couple years ago. So, no, he's not he he's not crying out for help, but his actions are crying out for help. Yeah, it's it's really uh, tough when you did when I when I look at this situation. I think, uh, I th- yeah, I think I agree. That his his actions are crying out for help. He, I don't think he would ever cry out for help. Uh, I just and once again, following Tiger Woods pretty much his whole career, uh, he's a different cat. Uh, you have to be a different cat to have the success that he had. Uh, his dad was really. Um, on him to get the best, the best output, and that was that's what made him great. It's kind of like things that make you great are the things that sometimes are your demise, because he was a freak of nature. Uh, he's the Michael Jordan of golf. Will always be the Michael Jordan of golf, regardless of whether he wins the records of most majors, because he changed the game. He changed how people view the game. He brought more people to the game. Um, but I think when it comes down to him and this cry for help, I think, like you said, I think he mentally is like everything else. We've all had those moments and not even remotely trying to compare it, but I'm trying to make it real to us. Those moments I've retired from basketball three times. And every time (laughs) I go back and play, every time I go back and play, I realize why I retired because in my head, 
I could be like I was in high school out playing for two, three hours in Timberlands and jean shorts and playing like I'm playing or whatever, or playing in a, in a hot gym for three, four hours with, with high school kids and I'm in my mid-20s. Totally different approach. But when you get there, your mind is the last thing to go. Your body will fail you, and, his, and Tiger Woods' body has failed him multiple times. And with a golf, and I say this from a a very amateur golfer uh, point of view, if your back is not right, you cannot do the things that you need to do. My goal is just to hit the ball straight. Can I shape the ball? Can I put some spin on the ball? Can I do all that other stuff? Nah, not really. And the thing is, if I can't hit the ball straight, I can't play. I can't play up to what I want to do. So the thing is, I think that all those things of knowing what you can do when your only measure is against yourself, that that's the loneliest place in the world. When your only measure of success is against yourself, it's, no, it's nothing else you can do but fail or retire because it's the same thing. Look at Michael Jordan. Look at all the greats that didn't just retire on top. Look at Michael Jordan in the Washington Wizards years. I saw Michael Jordan's last game at at, at, at uh uh thing or what was it used to be called um Indianapolis. It wasn't Conseco. Before it was Conseco, it was uh dang it. Oh it'll come to me. But he was a fraction of his of of his former self, but he was Michael Jordan. And again, I wasn't a Jordan fan. I was just intrigued. Oh, it's the last game of Michael Jordan. Oh, I'm gonna go check this out. But <laughs> the thing is, the, the thing is, is that um, Market Square Arena. Um, the thing yeah. is, is that you, it, it, it's it's the mind trick, the greatest trick that was ever tricked uh, the devil, create, uh, tricking people that he never, uh, making people think he never existed. It's that type of thing. Like, okay, I'm here. I've been here. I'm no longer trending upwards. What can I do to continue to have some level of success? Now, I don't think the only thing Tiger can do is wait those extra couple of years so he can get on the senior tour, just based on his physical breakdown because it's type, it's kind of like LeBron or Shaq playing the type of game that you play. He's not playing like Kareem up until his 50 or, you know, up until his upper 40s like Kareem. You can't play that way for that long. Your body's not built for that. So, I think it's a cry for help, and I think it's a, an internal battle that very few people can truly understand. Uh, but I just think that uh, that plays a huge part in it. And I'm not alluding to or uh, saying that he has a dependency on pain pills, but he's had surgeries in the not-so-recent future. So if he has prescriptions, he has prescriptions. And it's happened. I know it's happened to me. It's happened to family members or people in that pain and taking the medicine without necessarily eating. He may have been going to get some food after taking his medicine, and he was discombobulated because they said he couldn't tell him, tell them where he was going. He could have been going to uh, uh, to Perkins to go get him a new lady. Who knows? <laughs> but but uh, the thing is that this, this folds right into my next question, and this is what I have the most to say about. Is he being viewed fairly in this situation? Nope. Because we saw when we first heard, when the story first broke, 
the comments, the jokes, and everything that was flying out there. Oh, Tiger, here we go again, Tiger being the drunk, or Tiger can't control himself and all this stuff. Not realizing the full story. We didn't care about getting the full story. We just wanted to let the jokes fly, let the comments roll, and make these memes and laugh all day about them. Yeah, I mean, and this is what I have the biggest problem with. And I have the biggest problem with anybody who has become... I mean, it's, and no other word of it, been a, a, a Tiger Woods hater. Because the thing is, when you look at Tiger Woods and his career, <clears throat> it's kind of like the LeBron hater. Like, LeBron was hated not necessarily for what he did on the court, but for his persona that he carried off the court, which a lot of senses were not created by him. It was created by the media, and he just didn't tell them any different. Tiger right. Woods and his stretch of playing golf and how he played golf, even with people who, who are who are playing in the tour now who grew up watching Tiger Woods and that's what their motivation to play golf, I mean, from five to six years old, they can never be Tiger Woods. And I think that because golf is such a prestigious and sacred and private sport, the fact that Tiger Woods came in, took golf box storm, shook it upside down, whooped everybody and took names in majors and in regular tournaments and broke all types of records, that they feel some kind of way about it. So any opportunity that they get to knock him down a notch, they attempt to do, but you cannot fight um, – the, the records that he's done, I mean, it's it's unreal. And I think you look back at situations like this, and once again, I like this guy as a golfer too, um, but he's had a troubled past. John Daly, alcoholic, uh-huh. substance abuse. He had to withdraw from tournaments because he had hangovers and all these other things. He's nowhere close. Now, granted, at the time when it happened, Yes, they were a little harsh on him. He lost some sponsorships, but he came right back. Nobody really played in mind. And because he wasn't winning, they let it go. I mean, there are numerous golfers that had extramarital affairs, divorced, all that stuff, but it didn't come out. Why? Because nobody cares about golfers until they win a tournament. Nobody in golf until Tiger Woods, since Jack Nicholson and – uh, Arnold Palmer had their had the stamp of the of the of the whole sport on behind their name, so nobody cared about that. Um, but when you just look at how Tiger Woods won and what he did, it's just unreal. Um, and I think that people are jealous and hating. I mean, I mean now it's like they're loving it because he's struggling because he can't recreate those things and. They take every uh, opportunity they can to just take a dig at it. And uh, I just I always battle with this because it's, it's, it's real easy to go into this, but I think that it plays a real part of a sport that is traditionally and historically a white sport, a place where there's still courses where blacks cannot play. 
that's a situation where that even adds more fuel to the fire for them to discredit Tiger Woods and what he has done. Because that's the only thing you can do. I mean, at the end of the day, if you beat Jordan, Michael Jordan today in one-on-one, how much credit do you, do you get? How much street credit is that? You're not beating them in 84 well, through through 96. Well, for well, you me? Well, me. All right, for you and me, yeah, we're getting, I'm but, just saying. But as a 25-year-old in the prime of your adult life, as far as athletically, nah. Right. I mean, Tiger Woods is Tiger Woods. He's battling some things, you know. Wife moved on. He, uh, uh, Lindsey Vaughn moved on. He, I, I just think he, 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 golf is always his balancing thing. You know, always have things to balance you out. The show helps balance me out. Going and playing golf balances me out to deal with the regular stresses. Golf was his stress relief. Now golf, golf has become a stressor, both uh-huh. on the court and in the media. And I don't think he knows how to deal with it because he was a media darling. I mean, you could tell that it was a downward spiral in his press conference that he had regarding his infidelities with his wife. I mean, he felt he let the media down. Not let his fans down, but the media was his second family. I mean, there was the media loved everything that Tiger Woods did. They loved the backstory. They loved that he was multicultural, multiracial. They loved all these things. They loved about how his dad was. When his father passed and he won, won the tournament, when his mom came to the tournament, who never came. All those things were played up. It was great for ratings, and it made everything, and it was great for Nike and great for all those things. But the moment that he was no longer that poster boy, this reminds me very much so of, it ain't the same thing, but OJ. The moment that OJ became black in the eyes of the people that upheld him, is a moment that everybody's perception changed. And I think that's the same thing with Tiger Woods. And somebody pinpointed it in his arrest record. What did they put him as? Black. Tiger Woods has made no qualms about it that he is not black. He is multiracial. And at times he even said it that he relates more side to his mother's side of the family. So those are those small things that people need to stay woke to, but those are those small things that really, you know, really irk me when it comes to dealing with this situation with Tiger Woods, who's a great athlete, across the board, great golfer. Yeah. I mean, in certain instances, granted, <clears throat> he's not going to win the most majors. He he's second in most and most championships when at seventy nine, but he was a great golfer. Arguably the greatest golfer. You could talk about this and the technology and everything else. It's, it's like inflation. <clears throat> it's still what it what it's worth at that time. Right. Because he built he, everybody else with the same who had this access to the same technology. So it's not like everybody else playing with wooden clubs and he's playing with with uh with titanium. Everybody got the everybody has the same opportunity. He just took advantage of it and he was just a freak of nature. So 
I just hate to see this how it goes. I mean, in all honesty, I'm one of those people. I I, I started playing college uh, golf in college, going to the range, doing that. Tiger Woods was the reason why I started watching golf more. Well, I know actually I started playing college, uh, golf. I took lessons in high school, but um, it really I really got into it right after college. I've been playing ever since then. Tiger Woods was something that I could. Oh, you know, made me want to go out and do more. Do I watch golf nearly as much? Not at all. I watch the majors sometime, unless it's a, somebody else. But when they immediately kind of like probably how people get pissed off when they start automatically comparing somebody to Jordan, you get pissed off. I get pissed off at that. Let them play and build to a certain level before you even mention them in the same breath. Nobody is is clamoring for somebody to be the next Tiger Woods because it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And that's the one so, thing a lot of people don't realize. This is a once-in-a-generational player. And this not even can, taking into consideration the current state of his career, his his resume as a golfer is second to none. And like you said, he's a transcendent athlete. He's the, the Jackie Robinson. He's the Muhammad Ali. He's the Michael Jordan of golf. And there's never going to be another guy. No matter what you try to do to put somebody up there, they always end up being the hero miners. They're, they're they're always going to end up being the 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 next guy that never was. And it sucks because Jordan Spieth is a great golfer, but he's going to be chasing that shadow. He's going to be chasing that ghost. And we see how bad it is with LeBron. Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, and anybody else that has come behind Jordan, you don't get to take, you don't get to appreciate the player for who they were because you're spending too much time, oh, he doesn't do this like Jordan, he doesn't do that like Jordan. And the same is going to be, it's starting to be said for some of these golfers. Once they show an inclination of winning one or two tournaments or showing domination in one or two of these tournaments, it's like, oh, can he be the next? No, you never. You weren't saying this in '95. Who was the guy before Tiger Woods? You weren't saying, oh, you weren't comparing everybody to Lee, Lee Trevino or Arnold Palmer every time they won or played above their head for a couple of tournaments. So why are you doing it now with Tiger Woods? Right, because that's. But the thing, the reason why they're doing it, because it, it's a way to keep golf relevant and getting people talking about golf because. Who wants to talk about golf outside of talking about it with Tiger Woods? Not too many folks. Right. So, yeah, so my last, well, no, nah, I mean, this is the thing. This is probably a hypothetical. Nobody really knows. But I'm wondering who is that person that can reach out to Tiger that he actually respects enough to listen to. I mean, I, I mean, Arnold Palmer. Oh, no, 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 no. Sorry. Rest in peace, Arnold. Jack Nicholson said that he, you know, he feels sorry for Tiger. He thinks Tiger needs some help. But once again, he said that based upon the first report, which alluded to the fact that Tiger was drunk and it was DUI, uh, not driving while impaired, which is a difference. So, I, you know, I wonder who is that person. I know he's friends with some other, with, um, what's the tennis player? Um, Federer. Uh, you know, so he's. I'm wondering who is that person, or who are those people that can actually reach out to him 
And this is why this is why it's so important to have real people around you. Yes, you're gonna you're gonna acquire friends, colleagues, if you're a top flight entertainer, singer, dancer, athlete, but you still have to have somebody that you can trust in your inner circle that knows who you are and knows how you are and can keep it real. And I think that's the one thing that a lot of these athletes lack. They never had. They never have somebody that can say, you're messing up. You're screwing up. You need to go sit down. You need to go do this and get your mind right. And right. It, it sucks because so many, other, so many of these guys could be further along in their careers or their legacies if they had that person to, to basically just tell them to shut the hell up. Yeah. And and I think that that humbles people, especially people that, you know, from somebody who you can respect and respect what they've gone through regarding, and, uh, you know, the path that they chose within their career that you can, all right, yeah, you know what, I got you. And he needs that. Uh, and once again, he don't, he doesn't, in my opinion, he doesn't need to do anything else on 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 the court golf course. He just really needs to focus on getting getting back to his zen point, getting back to the middle. And I think that's kind of kind of where it lies. So uh, I'm about to, we're about to go and hear from our sponsors. Then be right back after this break. This half hour sports Q and A has been brought to you by Crush Media Group. Progressive Greek, Next Step Mentoring, Ticket Wave, and Fan Siding. Welcome back, sports fans. We're entering into our second hour um, of sports Q&A. Give us a call if you're out there listening and you have something to say. 760-539-3269. It's 760-539-3269. Before we went to break, we were talking about Tiger Woods. His impact in his in the his legacy of golf, his career legacy, his basically his legacy for the sports world. Um, there are not too many athletes out there that will be able to say they've been able to do what he's been able to do within the course of his sport. But we have a couple of guys out there that have made some 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 strong contributions before they retired, but now that they're done playing, there's been some backlash. Got to travel back up to Detroit with this one. One Calvin Johnson, a.k.a. Megatron. Um, This is arguably the the greatest Detroit Lions wide receiver ever in the history of the team. Decided to walk away at the age of 30. Decided injuries, had bad feet, bad ankles, bad hands, bad knees, and he felt it wasn't enough. Now, the issue is there's the Lions, in the, in, in the midst of him retiring, asked him, asked him back for a portion of his, I think it was his signing bonus, which was around $350,000. He took it as a slap in the face, but it is what it is. You knew as being Calvin Johnson Going into the season, before the year he retired, that he was there's a possibility that he was going to hang it up. He could have set it up himself to make this a more 
smooth transition, but he waffled. He went back and forth, and he was unsure of the situation. And now you have a new GM and Bob Quinn who's about his business. He's like, I, I understand. I appreciate what you did, but run me my money. And you can't blame them. I mean, Calvin made over $150 million as a wide receiver, which is unbelievable. And part of the reason, in my opinion, why the Lions never reached their potential because they had their money, too much of their money tied up into the wrong players. Personally, I believe you should only pay your quarterback who can win you games with his arm, your left tackle who can protect that quarterback, and a pass-rushing defensive end or linebacker that can get to the quarterback. Those are the only three guys that's, that should be the highest-paid guys on your roster. Everybody else can make their money, but they're they're so indisposable or they're interchangeable, should I say, where you can have somebody come in and you have a defensive tackle that's stout with the run. He's probably split, splitting snaps with somebody that's a pass rusher defensive tackle. So they balance themselves out. You got running backs outside of the half, the few guys that are able to tote the rock for 250-plus carries, 200 carries, Adrian Peterson in the past, Beast Mode in the past, and maybe even someone like a, a David Johnson or definitely Ezekiel Elliott down here in Dallas. Running back is a position that you don't invest that money in. I mean, that's why Dallas felt that DeMarco Murray was not the worth the money he was asking for. You put a couple of guys, two or three guys together, and you can get the production that, you look, that you're looking for. And sure enough, that you're between letting Murray go and acquiring uh, Elliott, they got decent production from Darren McFadden, and the rest of the guys on the roster. He, Darren McFadden rushed for 1,000 yards. And as, a, as an offense, that's all you can ask for. Flipping it, defensive back. You don't pay a defensive back all that money because a team can throw away from them. Linebacker. If he's not a pass rushing linebacker, he spends too much time in coverage, not really making an impact, and back to wide receiver. I can isolate you and take you out of a game. And true enough, Calvin found ways of, when he was healthy, found ways of negating double and triple teams, but as his career progressed and those injuries started to mount up, he became a liability. And I think I may be the only Lions fan that feels this way. He became a hindrance to the team. You had a guy in Matt Stafford that was over-reliant on Megatron to the point where he would force balls in there. He would, he would throw a ball in the coverage because he figured, okay, I trust Calvin to make this play. And more often than not, he made the play. But there were some times where he didn't make the play. And if he didn't make that play, it led to either a a costly incompletion that killed the drive or a turnover. We saw there were so many people that were feeling that personally told me, oh, man, without Calvin Johnson, the Lions are going to take a major step back. No. Look what happened. Matt Stafford was forced to spread the ball out, and he didn't have his security blanket. And sure enough, he played. He had a very good season up until the fact when he got his hand hurt. 
So, once again, like I said, you don't pay wide receivers that high, um, that high contract. And outside of Julio Jones last year with the Atlanta Falcons, who was the last premier wide receiver to play in the Super Bowl? I mean, if you want to consider Demarius Thomas a premier wide receiver, which I don't, you can say him. But besides that, it was Marvin Harrison with the Indianapolis Colts with Peyton Manning. You don't need to pay a top-flight wide receiver that's not a, a supreme difference maker all that money. You look at Odell Beckham. Hasn't hasn't lived up to his, his talent or his expectation when it matter. Giants haven't made the postseason. You look at A.J. Green, still haven't won a playoff game. You look at some of these, Des Bryant, I mean, two playoff wins, or I think he had two, yeah, two playoff wins since being in Dallas. And look what happened with that team this year. They proved without Des, they were able to find some, some ways of continuing their winning streak, and they relied on two rookies. They got it done with <clears throat> Ezekiel Elliott, and they got it done with Dak Prescott. Not a overpriced, overdeveloped wide receiver. I mean, Antonio Brown. It was it was strange to see them finally, the the, the killer bees and being uh, Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown played their first playoff game playoff game as a as a trio last year. And how long had they been on that been on that team? That shows you. It's, and they still didn't. Get, they still could not get past New England. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with New England now that they have Brandon Cooks. Now that they have a little bit more weapons on the outside, will that deter Tom Brady or will that improve Tom Brady? But back to the whole Calvin situation. I appreciate what Calvin did. Some people are trying to compare it to what happened with Barry Sanders. I don't think it's the same because Barry also was the master of his fate and the captain of his soul as far as his playing soul with the Lions. He couldn't decided not to sign that last contract, moved on as a free agent, and was able to put himself in a position to win a championship. He chose not to, and then he decides to walk away. How about how selfish is that? Same thing with Calvin Nye. And that's why you have some guys. There's been some hints. There's been some some questioning of whether he's he's out in L.A. helping a, a former position coach with the Raiders. And I wonder, oh, is he going to do what uh, Beast Mode did and sign with the Raiders? First of all, the Lions aren't going to let him out of his contract as easy as Seattle did with with Marshawn Lynch. And I, I think he's at the point, and he's already said it, his body is so broken down where I don't think he can make that same impact. I, the, when you look at the position, the players that when they get to a certain level of Age, injuries, and all, and wear and tear on their bodies. Wide receivers fall off that 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 cliff a lot quicker than anybody else. It's just one of those things where you realize, I can't get out this break like I used to. I can't get off this jam like I used to. Yeah, I'm six five and two thirty, but I'm a little. I, I lost a step. I can't use. I don't have that forty inch vertical. So now I'm reduced to having to try to run run routes to get open and 
everybody that really watched the Lions and really watched Calvin will tell you he wasn't the best route runner. He was a the epitome of a defensive uh, of a rebounder in basketball who used body position, who used positioning to out jump half half the defenders to make key plays. When was the last time you saw Calvin Johnson out run a route to get himself open? It's been it was a while before he retired. I never I could I it, I struggled to find that that situation. That was the thing, and, and I, I will go back to this game till I to the day I die. The game versus Tampa Bay, maybe three or four years ago, is when I, I finally gave up the ghost on Calvin. This was a situation against the Bucks. All they needed was a field goal to win the game. They were trying either win the game or tie the game. They were getting into field goal range. Stafford throws it to Calvin. Calvin drops, bobbles the ball, and it's picked off. And this wasn't a matter of, oh, this is a bad throw from from Matt. It went through his hands. It could have been catchable, but it went through his hands. No, this was a pure situation where Calvin just flat out dropped the ball and it, it landed in the hands of the defensive back for the Buccaneers and the Lions lost the game. It's one of those things. It's like, dude, when you're not – when you're getting up in age, I need you to be more like Larry Fitzgerald. He may not be as fast as he used to coming out of pit, but Larry Fitzgerald works his butt off. Larry Fitzgerald has refined his route running even at the age that he is now, and he still is making plays for the Arizona Cardinals. And that's what you need. And, I mean – the Lions hadn't had it in years. Everybody's talking about the whole situation with their the defense or Matt Stafford not being who he's supposed to be as a quarterback. But the Lions have led the league and have been in top three or top five in drops consistently over the last five or ten years. It shocks me when they're not in the top five. So you have guys that can't hold on to the ball you have guys that, whether it's Eric Ebron, whether it's um, Golden Tate, whether it's the, wire, the running backs who have to get healthy this year, they can't hold on the ball. And I don't know about you. I play street ball, and I play quarterback playing street ball. If I throw the ball to a guy a couple of times and he doesn't catch the ball, I don't care how wide open he is. I'm going to be hesitant to get him the ball. And that's what happens with a lot of quarterbacks that don't that can't trust their wide receivers to catch the ball. And too often it happened with their Ebron and key, key moments, oh, drop it, an easy third down and sixth catch that would have kept the drive going. Uh, Marvin Jones not being able to complete the process. Well, what, think about it. The NFL came up with a rule because Calvin couldn't do it. And you just wonder, what is going on? You don't see other top-tier wide receivers making the same mistakes that Lions receivers do and definitely what Calvin did. So I think at the end of the day, this is a situation where Calvin needs to just suck it up. Um, I I give kudos to the Lions staff because they realize, okay, maybe we could have handled it differently. Maybe we could have said some things to smooth it over. So they extended the olive branch, even though they didn't have to. 
to make sure everything is good because at the end of the day, <clears throat> Calvin Johnson is still a Lions great. He is still the, the all-time greatest wide receiver in Lions history, ahead of Herman Moore, ahead of Brett Perriman, and he needs to get his just due, um, whether it means having his number retired or having his number added to a rank of honor or something. I don't even know if the Lions do that. But that's where he needs to go. And But in first place, they need to kiss and make up and make it so that he's welcome back on <clears throat> the sidelines, welcome back on in the, the locker room because, I mean, he can help the team. And nothing more as a consultant, being a person that will definitely talk to some of these younger rod receivers. They have a guy now in Kenny Galladay that they drafted in the third round from Northern Illinois that he may not have the girth and the the playing weight that Calvin does, but he's six four, two fifteen, I think two twenty. But he's a big he's a big play wide receiver. Guy has over a hundred transferred from uh, Division FCS, Division One FCS school to Northern Illinois and proceeded to catch 160 balls for over 2,000 yards. This is a guy that can definitely play dividends for the Lions. And if you have somebody like a Calvin Johnson mentoring him, it could work out. Hello. Well, but yeah, it's, it's just one of those things where. They can get that's an asset that the Lions need to have when you have so much other things that are going wrong with this team. You still have, I mean, case in point, you still have fans that are in their feelings about losing in Dominican Sue. I mean, Sue did not want to be in Detroit. Anybody that knew him, anybody that knew his family, anybody that knew the situation knew that this guy was looking for his first way out whenever his contract is up. He may have told the Lions one thing, but the action said something different. And I just blame the Lions staff and the, the management at the time for not getting something in return. And I think that's the one thing it can be said about Barry, it can be said about Calvin. If they didn't want to be there, and they really didn't want to be there, and I don't know, we don't know that 100% for sure, Maybe they could have dealt them. Maybe they send him to a different team, and maybe he chases that Super Bowl, and the Lions get something out of it. Now, and that's where the whole cap relief comes in, and why the Lions are so bent on, were so bent on making him pay that three hundred fifty thousand dollars. Like you got to give us something back. We've given you all this, and you retire abruptly. No, nah, homie, we respect you, we love you, we thank you, but run us our money. And that's the same thing that would be done with anybody. I mean, this is a, a pivotal year for the Lions, just looking at that roster, looking at the acquisitions they made. Hopefully this is the thing that I can't even say get them over the hump. Like Al said earlier, you're looking at them with the same eyes. You're looking at the the, the L.A. Clippers. They're comparing themselves. They're – accomplishments to themselves instead of the rest of the league. And yes, it sucks that, oh, this is the best Lions team, but how good is good? Not really good. So now it's that opportunity when you have, you've upgraded your offensive line, 
you you even brought in another running back with Matt Asiata, who is a a, a short yardage goal line type running back that plays a lot bigger than what he's listed at at two two nineteen two twenty. Um, you made some additions through the draft defensively. Um, this is the opportunity to return back to the playoffs and show not only your fan base but show the league that okay, Matt Stafford. Amir Abdullah, Golden Tate, Ziggy Yancey, Jared Davis, Glover Quinn are good players. I mean, you look at the fact that NFL Network now is currently running their top 100 players voted on by the by the players. I have yet to see one lion on this list, and I only expect to see one lion on this list, and that's Matt Stafford. They're at this point right now. They're into the the top. I think they're at the, the, I think 41 through 50, and they still haven't called his name. And I, I fully expect him to be in the top 25, maybe even the top 30, because that's where he was. This people look at what happened against the Giants, against Green Bay, against Dallas, but Stafford prior to that hand injury, a MVP candidate. He played like one. He was leading like one, and. <clears throat> As usual, you have guys out there, you have pundits, you have media out there that are looking at what happened with the Lions last year, the 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 run the run on comeback victories, and like, oh, they can't do this again. But some of those same guys are the same ones that said, oh, no, Calvin Johnson, they're going to take a major step back. I'll never forget. I think it was I think it was Sporting News picked them to go four and twelve last year. Definitely will be interesting to see where they have them picked because you figure improved running game, that should take even more pressure off of Stafford. Now you have the security blanket in, in Theo Riddick, a guy that can that is a, a pure receiving threat that can you can shorten the, the, the change. You can take a first and ten and put it at a, a second and six, a second and five because he may catch a swing pass or he may catch a pass and make a couple of guys miss the offense up, which we've been hearing out of Allen Park say where Jim Bob Cooter is now putting the – has fully put the keys to the kingdom in the hands of Matt Stafford. In previous – in that first year, Cooter was still trying to kind of spoon feed what Stafford did, what he learned and how he operated. Last year there was some collaboration based on <clears> – <throat> Stafford's comfort level, whereas this year it's completely off Stafford. There, Cooter is teaching him or going through the game plan, and now it's up to Stafford to kind of figure out what he likes. And now he's teaching his teammates, and he's going through going, um, going back and forth with his teammates to figure out this is how it's supposed to go. I mean, it's, it's I say it till I'm blue in the face. This is a pivotal year for him because you have some. You have some people out there that are that are bullish on that respect him. I saw him ranked as high as the number three quarterback in the NFL. I think that's premature. But then I see some of that bullish on him, and we'll have him outside the top fit on the back end of the top fifteen. So it's, it's definitely opportunity with him knocking on the door thirty to get things done. If he puts up another season where he's He's comparable to last year, the last few years. 
95 QBR, 95 100 QBR, uh, a 2 to 1, 3 to 1 interception ratio, and continues to come through in the clutch. I think this is a guy that may not lead the Lions to the Super Bowl, but if he has enough pieces around them, he can he can get them to that elusive playoff win that they haven't had since 1991. And and it's just crazy that I have to say that. And, it, and 90 seems far away even when I say it, but it's even further away when you recognize what it is. That's almost – that's all 26 years ago. and But this is the Lions. This is the Lions history. You have the, the SOL, the same old Lions fan base that think that that's – Shoot, you might as well say that was 1951 instead of 91 based on some of their perceptions and some of their expectations for the team. So it's just definitely one of those things. And hopefully with the the smoothing out and the the kissing and making up that Calvin Johnson is part of that organization because the wide receivers need it. He's a a presence that definitely can help them if need be. Um, But – Definitely got to make a transition. Al still has stepped away, still handling some business. I got to talk about baseball, what and how the 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 unwritten rules of baseball have somewhat put a lot of fans and a lot of media in a funky place. Um, for those who don't know, the San Francisco Giants and the Washington Nationals were in a, a a pretty epic brawl a couple of days ago after um, Hunter Strickland hit Bryce Harper in the wake of him sending a home run over out the park. Now, this is where a lot of novice baseball fans have questions, a lot of just non-traditional baseball fans like, why did he hit him? There's an unwritten rule. Oh, if you grandstand, if you take too long posing, if you do whatever, whatever, I'm going to plunk you. There's a, a gentleman's rule that allows you to plunk the batter, either either him or the next guy, up to bat. Now, in past years, it may not have been a 95-mile-per-hour fastball, but I think this was an exception in Strickland wanted to make a point be known. So he hit Bryce Hunter, I mean Bryce Harper, and Harper, in the most (laughs) hilarious moment, charges the mound, but also decides to toss his helmet. And I'm thinking it had to be a distraction. As someone on um, CBS Sports mentioned, the throw of the helmet by Harper was just as bad, if not worse, than the, the home play throw by 50 Cent on in the opening pitch a couple of years ago for the New York Mets. Um he there was no way that that helmet was gonna come close to hitting him, but I think it was a distraction whereas he hoped that Strickland would look that way and it allowed Bryce Harper to get a nice punch in. Now did it hurt? We don't know. But it, it cleared all the it cleared the, the benches, it cleared the 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 stand, well, not the stands, the the field, and it got pretty heated. Um, one person that did not go to the to the mound where the the fracas was taking place was catcher 
Buster Posey for the San Francisco Giants, and that has brought up a, a whole different gambit. And I'm definitely going to ask out when he jumps back on the air. Was there a violation of the bro code? Everybody, I mean, I've never seen a situation where bench is cleared or somebody charges a mile and your catcher or a position player decides not to get in the fracas. More times than not, and I've seen my share of of bench-clearing brawls, guys being hit, where the catcher is usually the first person that attempts to kind of defuse it where he'll grab the guy or he'll be the one to get in the way. Buster Posey decided to do none of that. And a lot of people are wondering why. Was it because he just was like, he figured that the what Strickland deal was so far out of the realm of necessary, and he's like, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not putting my nose in something I don't agree with. Or he just, injury, it was, he may have had a lingering injury that no one knows about, and he didn't want to risk it. But if it's the the former, you have to ask yourself, is that a violation of the unspoken word of teammates? If, if one fight, we all fight. I mean, baseball and most sports are a brotherhood. And you figure if your brother is being jumped or not necessarily jumped in this situation, but being in a fracas, you may not have to jump in, but you're going to get close to see what's going on. So if you have to intercede, if you have to intervene, you can. But Posey did not did not move, and the hood frowns upon that. I mean, I've seen situations. I'm only child, so I didn't have the experiences. But those who had siblings, like if one fight, you all better fight. And in this case, it did not happen. And it would be interesting to find out what Posey's thinking was behind the whole situation. Did he feel that Strickland was out of out of pocket for what he did, or did he just not want to involve himself in the situation? And it brings to a whole different question with Major League Baseball. Is it time to put an end to these, these senseless um, beaming situations? It's one thing to hit a guy with a 77-mile-per-hour changeup or what we would still call a fastball in the back. But what happens when a guy gets hit with a 90-plus-mile-per-hour 90 heater and it, it grazes his chin or it grazes his helmet? That puts that player in grave danger of concussion, uh, bone fractures, or something more serious, all in the – all in the name of, oh, you you grandstanded against me, and I did not like it. And it's not fair. This is, I mean, there's some of these things are acceptable, and this wasn't even a Jose Bautista bat flip situation. This was because he, he just took him yard. Now, even with the Jose Bautista situation, you have to figure, at this point, it's part of the game. It's part of the rules. I mean, you just got to decide whether what stuff you're going to let go, what you're what you're not going to deal with. And I mean, next time you strike them out. I mean, how about you get the guy out instead of giving up the home run? That's your way of getting back at him. That's your way of 
saying, hi, I got you. But you want to resort to throwing inside, throwing behind the guy, throwing at his feet, throwing at his head, and it's just the Major League Baseball Players Association has to do something to protect itself. But as we can see, they're so busy trying to protect the the sanctity and the old guard and the old rules of the game that they're not going to do anything. And what happens when someone seriously gets hurt? What happens if 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 this next player that gets beamed by someone has a concussion? What happens if he gets caught in the eye and breaks an orbital bone or gets catches a catches a fastball in his chin and breaks his chin? That's something that's more detrimental to the the sanctity of the game than anything else because now you have I mean this all these rules are being passed down whether it's the minor leagues, whether it's college base, all the way down to high school and it's like for what? And it's it's this it's it's BS, so to speak. It's simply put, it's BS. And but you have guys out here that will live and die by these rules, that will live and die by these these spoken codes, even to the point where when it happens to their their teammate, they get upset. Like, no, how are you going to get mad that your teammate got beaned when your pitcher, the pitcher on your roster? One of your brothers being them. So, I mean, it's just, it's just one of those things where you have to be very careful because eventually it's going to come around and you hate to see, you hate to catch it, and you hate to be the one to be the victim to catch it when you really were trying to avoid the situation. Um, baseball is one of those sports where, and I played it through high school, middle school, Wanted to play it in college, but never got the opportunity, never was recruited heavily. Whereas they're trying to find ways of bringing fans back into the sport. <laughs> and you have to ask yourself, is this helping or hurting their reputation? Is this helping them or is this deterring fans or is this bringing fans in? This isn't like hockey where you have two guys under their own Recognizing is fighting each other, and they've made a decision. This is a retaliation of uh, one side deciding, okay, I'm going to hit this guy. I may not have even been the guy that hit the home run, but I'm the one that's getting beamed for it. How does that work? And that makes it even more uh, a crazy situation because now I'm turning into the guy. Now my teammates, look, I'm looking at my teammates, so I'm looking at that picture that's on the mound like, okay, you got my back, don't you? So now he, in turn, hits one of their players. And it turns into this back and forth where, yeah, you have umpires that have given teams warnings or, or may eject one or two guys, but it's just an ugly situation like it was with the, the, Washington, the Washington and San Francisco game. It could be even worse than what you're expecting. What happens is, and we saw this with Jeff Samarja calling himself, rekindling his days at Notre Dame, shoulder blocking a player, ended up doing it to his own teammate. Now, what would have happened if Samarja got hurt or his teammate got hurt? They get hurt over a situation that did not directly impact them or did not directly involve them. And, and now you have 
two guys that are possibly on the DL, the disabled list, in addition to having Bryce Harper missing time because he's suspended and Strickland is suspended. Now, I will say this. They did the right thing by suspending Strickland more than they did Harper because, I mean, Harper was just reacting to the act. Strickland was the instigator. Strickland was Strickland was the initiator of the issue. So, yes, he deserves a longer penalty. He deserves a longer situation, even though, and I've always wondered about this, is it a matter of when you suspend a pitcher for four games, is it for his games or four games in general? Because that may only equate to one start, whereas if you suspend a pitcher for 10 to 12 games, he may miss one or two or three starts in the course of that time period, and that impacts him a lot more than a, a infielder or outfielder that misses five or six games because he's an everyday player. So definitely one of those situations where the rules need to be reevaluated. You need to have a go. Rob Manfred needs to have a come-to-Jesus meeting with the MLB Players Association and nip all this stuff in the bud. You have to decide what's important. Is the, the integrity of the base of the game more important than these unwritten rules? I mean, like I said earlier, you're at a you're at a stage where you're losing fans. You're not attracting a, a great segment of the urban fan base, and now you're because of the fact that so many people find it antiquated. You can't celebrate, you can't yip it up, you can't hype it up like, I mean I I give and and this is a quick tangent, I give the NFL credit for relaxing significantly when it comes to the celebration penalty because, I mean, we all got to the point of calling it the no fun league because you had too many times where the guy would score a touchdown and he would get fined, he would be, or there would be a penalty because he took the celebration a little bit too far. Whereas baseball, it's, it's similar. You don't, oh, you're not supposed to celebrate. You're not supposed to do this. You can't do that. This is a gentleman's game. Now, I'm not there. I'm not here for uh, standing up a guy. You staring down. You hit a home run. You making a gest, uh, obscene gesture or inappropriate gesture towards him. But if I wanna, if I hit a 450 foot bomb on the, and I got some good contact, I might stare at the pitch and watch it go out. It should not. That should not be a problem. Or if this guy has been giving me hell all my career and I finally get a home run, I'm gonna enjoy it. I don't care. I might celebrate. I might dance. I might do a, a the cabbage patch at some point as I run as I come in and score, because baseball is a, for those who have not played baseball, you don't understand how hard it is to hit a round bat, a round ball with a round bat. The fact that you have guys that fail two out of three times but are still considered at the top of their game says enough. And, and the fact that you you tell me now when I do succeed, I have to bow my head and at a, a certain pace run around these bases, get back to the locker room, and, and celebrate quietly with my teammates. No, nah, 
that's why baseball is not getting the love that it gets in the hood. I mean, in addition to some other things, when you're talking about quality coaching, um, the affordability of the whole process, when you look at baseball now becoming a traveling league sport, that's expensive. The yeah, the equipment isn't that bad. You can find a, a, a decent bat for maybe $100, uh, a glove for $50, $60 that play it against sports, or your secondhand shop, costly as football. I mean, basketball is the cheapest sport out there. All you need is a ball, and you can get a $20 or $30 ball, and you can work on your dribbling skills until you find the court, until you find someone to shoot with, whereas baseball, you can't work on the true fundamentals of the game unless you have three or four guys that are willing to hit a field or practice with you because you need a pitcher. You need potentially someone that's going to – you might not need a catcher, but you're going to need somebody to shag the ball. And depending on how the level of talent is, I hate to have just one guy still uh, shagging balls. So you have – you figure you need one pitcher – two infield slash outfield ball shaggers, and then maybe a catcher. So that's one, two, three, four, five guys right there that you need to at least have bat practice. This isn't me talking about a competitive game where you need at least, at least shoot, 10 to 12 guys, 10 to 15 guys. The, the traditional baseball game takes one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine players in the, in the outfield plus plus a batter. So that's 10 right there. And what happens if he gets on, somebody else got a hit. So you figure you, you need at least 10 to 13 to 16 guys to play a decent game of baseball. And how many guys, how many people, how many places can you go that you can find that many guys that are willing to things that you really have to consider and baseball has to consider to get the interest back going not only for the little league level but high school and the collegiate level because now you're looking at it. I went through maybe a, a few weeks ago just glanced at some of these historically back colleges and some of their rosters and coaching staff, and most of them don't look like me. And they're whether they're Hispanic, whether they're Dominican, or just flat out white. You look at this is the issue that baseball is having. So at some point, you have to figure this situation with the with the Nationals, with the with the Giants, has to be a black eye. And at some point, the league has to reevaluate what's important: the rules, or the safety, and the reputation of the league. Well, I'm back. Daddy Daycare had to open up for an extended period of time, but it's closed again. So I see you're in talking about the baseball and baseball and the status and all those things. And it's kind of ironic today. I had to run by uh, the bank and the, and the credit union, and I'm leaving the credit union, headed back home, and crossing the street for Caucasian preteens and teenagers walking across the street with bags on their back, baseball bags and, t- and tote, walking across the street 
And it reminded me of how when I was growing up, how that used to be us. We didn't have bags, but at least one person had a bat. Majority of us had a glove. We we always had some balls around that we either found at the park or, or had from the season. Or even me, even though I got in trouble for playing with it a couple of times, I still have my World Series. The only championship I ever played on and won, 1984 World Series champs, 1984, the Mets, when I was in right field. So y'all know, know what kind of contribution I, I made. I think I had three hits on the season. But uh, it was that whole thing. And I said, and I was kind of talking to one of our coaches yesterday about the type of players that we have on the baseball team is that they're not baseball players. Like for me, if you boiled everything down, and you say you can only play one sport. It would be baseball, hands down. Uh, I had some very good success on the football field, but I never was had that love for football. I had fun playing football. But baseball, I would it would be all my whole life. Outside of playing baseball, I was creating baseball uniforms and creating leagues and going playing in the parking lot at at a school, and we were creating a league that allowed us to be able to play a two man baseball game which is almost impossible. But a two-man baseball game where a hit was a hit, if it went to a certain area, it was a double. If it went there, it was a triple. If it went there, it was it was a uh, a home run. Or four hits equal a home run, a one run in. And we kept stats. We did all those things because baseball was a sport that we grew up loving and all that. And maybe baseball was probably maybe more accessible than any of the other sports outside of the region because with your baseball team, you saw – all at least all the sports in one league, all the teams in one league, and then you saw the other ones in the All Star game. So it was just a different time. Like baseball and its importance is important. I think, man, I've been making some really wide sweeping statements, but it's kind of true. I think baseball is about to come out ugly, but baseball for the the Latin American players is the equivalent of basketball being to come up out of the hood. It's the saving grace. I mean, the Latin American players, the the MLB teams have recognized that these guys have a certain talent and a certain desire based upon their disposition that they can almost, for lack of a better term, they had the academies create these MLB baseball players. That you have uh-huh. is, I mean, it's AAU on crack. Nobody really talks about these baseball academies that they open up, and these guys are in there from thirteen, and they not a prospect by sixteen. They're done. You know, it's 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 a different mentality, but they kind of fit the mold of the desire, the build. You know, they don't they're not building too many Latin American basketball football players. So they kind of fit the build, and they have a true love for the game. I mean, you got a lot of basketball players that don't have a true love for the game. They just think that that's it's the popular sport, and they want to play that and everything else. So, I mean, when it comes to MLB, I think they need to take a bigger stance. I think they need to donate more money. Yeah, they do it, and just about every team has their little sponsor, little small Keep it quiet, uh, sponsored team that they only play against those other teams, but you have a great opportunity 
to provide opportunity in baseball, I would say, and I played football, I played basketball, I played tennis, team sports organized from high school and college. And baseball, to me, was the most team-oriented sport that I played on. Personally, I'm not saying that it is, but it just personally was. So it wasn't just the lessons on the field, it was lessons off. So I just think when you look at baseball and where it is and how how can its popularity in America increase, um, I think it's getting another demographic of players, another generation of of players, an opportunity to develop a love for the game. I mean, you you had the opportunity with the TV contract. You had the opportunity with um, uh, the more the more exposure uh, than it ever was before. But you have to find a way to relate it. I mean, baseball has never been born to me to watch. Bad baseball is born to watch, but baseball has never been born to watch because I played the game and there's always the scenarios, and that's what people who don't watch baseball don't understand. Like, you'll get excited about the play that the guy made that it didn't even make an out, but he saved two runs by going in a hole and stopping the ball and not making a bad throw. You know what I'm saying? Those are the things that are the game within the game, and I think baseball, for me, based on my experience growing up, is that type of sport. And you have people that play it just to play, and they don't have true – you don't have a lot of true just baseball players in general. You have guys that are playing it because they want to play a spring sport – or, hey, I, I think I can make this team. You know what I'm saying? Because nobody's really playing. Right. So it's just uh, a different thing. But it has to be a a very strategic effort put into place for MLB to approach um, and to create and increase it inside of the urban areas. And I'm, not even urban areas. I would say areas in which baseball is not prominent. Um, maybe low-income areas where, I mean, basketball, all you need to know is have somebody with a basketball or go to the rec center. I mean, how many rec centers have a full-fledged baseball, baseballs, bats, gloves, enough for 18 people to play and have a complete game with catcher's equipment? Nah. It, ain't happen- it ain't happening. So the thing is, is that, you still need coaching. Right, you still need coaching. Right, and and and, uh, and and the thing is, I'm not knocking MLB because they are doing something, but it is their sport, and I think that they just have to do more. I mean, they 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 do have those teams, and they do other things, and you have small market teams that are doing things. Granted, they ain't heard such a, a lot about it, but out of Chicago, you know, they're do, they're still doing their things. They had to change the management and all that due to the, the World Series aspect, but. They're doing those things. You have programs here in Detroit. Uh, players that I played against that, uh, you know, uh, that went that went to Southeastern, got drafted in and uh, in, in played some minor league baseball. And in Detroit, if you hear about the East Side Raiders, what do you think about Quinn? Powerful football. Right, but they have East Side Raiders uh, baseball team, traveling baseball team now. So that's the thing is. They're changing the paradigm, man. I mean, they're actually partnering up with uh, – we play at Man's Field, which when I was growing up was the the, the field to play on on the east side, uh, outside of no. the fields that were outside. 
outside there of Mansfield, but I mean outside of uh, Cleveland uh, Middle School where they had the three fields out there, but it was the field to play on because it had the gate, had the fence, had all the toppings. I had probably the worst baseball butt whooping I ever had in my life playing against some uh, some teenagers, uh, middle schoolers in, in southwest Detroit who really showed me what true team in baseball was that day uh, when we played in, in the Summer League Championship. But uh, they're partnering up with getting that field up and ready because it's a resource. I mean, if, until, if our team really didn't decide to play at that field, that field would be desolate still. Uh, but they're volunteering their time and their program is coming to get the field up to shape that, they, that it needs to be, which will benefit the, com- the, uh, the community. And they're actually going to have a, uh, a uh, um, dang on, uh, what, am I, what am I thinking of? Uh, a clinic, you know. Let me tell you, here in a baseball clinic in the city, you know that's that's huge. And I mean, you have a lot of things. In, I mean, there's a baseball academy in De- in Detroit, indoor with an indoor cage, in the city. Wow. Old elementary school, old Edmondson School, right over there off of uh, the lodge. You know, there are a lot of things. You got uh, you got Norm, uh, Coach Norm Taylor over at King, who. Is hometown World Series and other things, and trying to get his own uh, tournament started. Those things are hard because you don't have that support. I mean, and here's why you don't have the support. I played power football. I played power football. We started power football in like August. First games were in September. Dude, these guys started pal in April. <laughs> April. So wow. you basically, either you either you playing football or you playing AAU. You have very few people that are just are playing summer ball or travel league ball. So, and if it comes to calling, unless your parent is a football person, I mean baseball person, then what are you what are you what are you playing? You gonna play the glamorous stuff, and they'll pay the money. I mean, you paying the money for travel league anyway in baseball. You, it's the same thing that you would for for basketball, but it's a it's a different experience. And I think that was one of my regrets that I never played travel summer league. But I just never the opportunity never came to me. The closest I had to that was out of middle school playing with a gross point. They wanted me to transfer to the district, but I didn't want to do that. So that was the closest I was going to be to be in the travel team. And I missed out on a lot of great baseball opportunities and experiences by taking a stance, which is a political stance at my young age of 14 or 13 at the time. But um, it has to be somebody to be able to have a plan. I mean, I, I, I really would love to really explore this or connect with some people or work with some people to really expand this on a large scale to do some full-fledged, hey, we're going to restart these these neighborhood park leagues. I mean, if you if you have an organized situation in which at a reduced price you can offer baseball and start it off with T-ball and do like every other community, build them up as they add on age by age, you have you you would I don't think you would have the issues that you, you know, with pe- getting people to play. Like there should be if somebody wants to try for a high school high school base high school baseball team in high school and never play baseball, they should never have a shot. After after that first day, they probably should not they should not come back. Cause there's no opportunity 
for them to do that. I mean, I had people that like, yeah, I want to try for the team because uh, my daddy never taught me how to play baseball. Huh? But that was the thing. They always wanted, but they never had that opportunity. And high school is not the op- is not the place to learn how to play any sports if you want to truly play on a competitive level. That's what elementary and middle school is for. I mean, there has to be a program or programs you can do on a larger scale. But until that time, and I'm going to give them the pub that they deserve, check out the teams that are doing things on that level. Check out, uh, you know, the Eastside Raiders baseball organization. Check out Norm Taylor in hometown hometown, hometown classes, which is a traveling baseball tournament that's in Detroit that the winner goes and plays in the national tournament. Those are the things that we need to promote for baseball to survive inside of within minorities, uh, not well, not minorities within African American co- uh, communities, because it's not it's not an option. I mean, shoot, they don't even t- cut the fields good enough for you to be able to play. You hit the ball, you can't find it. It's gonna be a home run off a ground ball in the right field. <laughs> but it all goes together. All goes together. I'm about to, I'm still I'm on. I guess I, since I dead daycare, I got a lot to say now. But um, I just think that all this buzz and all this money that's being poured into the city of Detroit. You can't just throw money at buildings and other things. Yes, downtown is always, and midtown is always the central location of building and making it more appealing for visitors. But what about the people that are there? You have to have these resources. You have to have programs. Recreation department is, in the city of Detroit is one of the most underfunded programs in life. You have maybe four to five rec centers that are open, period, and fully functioning. Not just holding on. I mean, membership is not that much, $10, $15 for a year. The majority of them have gyms. But that's the thing is that it's not pushed as a viable option. People will most likely want to pay $30 to go to Lifetime, $10 down, $10 a month to go to, to uh, Planet Fitness. All those other things, instead of promoting what's there, but what's within is not being promoted by the people that are over it. So you need to be able to take advantage of this opportunity. You need to give these students another viable option. Again, baseball is the largest opportunity for you to become a professional athlete, hands down. Because uh-huh. here's the one thing, yeah, here's the one thing, and I'm, I'm going to get off my soapbox regarding this. If you're not careful – Soccer is going to overtake baseball as far as popularity in the United States. It's already growing. Right, and it is in some levels within the African-American community. Here's the thing. It it broke my heart. I couldn't show it because I didn't want to disappoint him. My youngest is turning five. Now, he's done some tumbling and some other stuff through school and soccer during school. So I said, hey, I said, we want to get you into playing some sports this summer. What, what do you want to do? I said, you want to play t-ball or you want to play soccer? Brother said soccer. No. Sure. He, he said, yeah. So the thing is, I can't be that parent <laughs> that goes against what he wants, but I, you also, I also am not going to be that parent that continues to push him upwardly into a situation that is not beneficial for him. Um, So it's more of an aspect of, okay, we're going to do multiple things, find out what you're good at and what you like the most, 
and then promote those. Because that's nothing is worse and sadder than a parent that pushes their hopes and dreams and wishes onto their kid and uh it's just a tragic situation. So yeah, so that's kind of where I am on the baseball stand. I I mean I mean since Jackie Robinson West, when we were having those conversations and talking about talking to my former teammates in Chicago about what that program meant meant and means to that community. Where is our Jackie Robinson West in the city of Detroit? You know, it used to be like the Rangers and the Yankees and and that. I mean, Pal has a league that's sparse because now it's run through middle schools. And you, but and they do a good job because I was a coach within that that league. But the thing is, is where are those things? And I think it starts in the community. But you got to start young. The same way that they can pick up a ball and dribble, they can pick up a ball and learn how to throw and catch and learn how to hit and field ground balls. And I think you have to start with just having clinics. Hey, we're having clinics for four to eight-year-olds, and they're having clinics from nine to 12, and they're having a high school clinic. You have those clinics at different levels to be able to have people interested and wanting to do more and learn more. And then once you have those clinics and you have that interest, then you roll out the options for them to play. Well, we're rolling out these new leagues. Hey, anybody listening, anybody with the funding, anybody with the desire, I have a desire to help with this. It just, I mean, because it's, I think it's necessary. I just think football, basketball is not, are not the only answers. They need, students need, I mean, students, kids need diversity, a diversity in in the sports that they play and learning different sports because you, I, I mean, there's a ton of football players that are just out there just because the teams need bodies. In basketball, everybody play basketball until it's time to try out and make the team. And then, well, the, the delusions of grandeur of one of my former students when I was at a middle school told me he had a growth spurt after his ninth grade year. Like, yeah. Um, I'm like, so you play – I said, did you make your high school team? No, no, I just play AAU. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to be the first AAU player to win Mr. Basketball. I mean, the first AAU player to win Mr. Basketball. Delusions of grandeur. You cannot win Mr. Basketball without playing high school ball. And if you cannot make your high school basketball team, that means that you're on an AAU team, that you're just there to be so showcased. You're not being coached up. You're just there for whatever one skill set you can do, whether it's rebounding, whether it's just be a big body – it wasn't dunking, but it's just that whole thing is that you need to be able to see something else. And there, there are other communities that are like that, I mean, that are out here. Shoot, I, I got excited driving home the other day, the elementary school right down the street from the house, not the ones that the boys go to. They had a little league going on. They had coaches. They had the parents sitting over there. They was, It was a practice, though. And I was like, oh, man, I almost pulled over just to go watch because – <laughs> it's right, you know. It's right there. I love seeing that within the community. That 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 that's necessary. But again, yeah. I, I don't live in the city, so it's a little different. You know, it's a little different. They, those kids look like they're between eight and twelve. It, you know, it was a little league team. But in order to kind of balance this whole aspect of baseball and baseball really being relevant. Um, you have to start with the teaching of the actual sport. 
and engaging them and bringing on some of those players, former players, former minority players to get these guys involved. Because if we we did the list, what, two weeks ago on Facebook about your favorite players at what position? And the majority of the Uh people on my timeline, at least out of the 10 players or 11 players, at least over half of them were black players. But you look at the Tigers. Who's the black player? Justin Upton. Nobody else. But if you go through my list, you saw Chet Lemon. You saw Lou Whitaker. You saw uh, Lee Smith. You saw all these guys because that's what you – that was your hopes and dreams of, like, I don't want to be in the MLB, but if I was in MLB – I want to be like this guy, Tony Gwynn, the best hitter I've ever seen. Those are the type of things, but this is the same things. What we're talking about now are the same things that basketball fans talk about. But the biggest difference is, is that to a certain level, we were on track to be able to play and live out those dreams beyond the playground. In the rec center. Because everybody can say they play basketball until it's time to play an actual game or learn a system or play at a certain level enough to get noticed. And I see, tragically, again, delusion of grandeur with student-athletes now that I interact with or where they think they're going to be doing and what they're going to be doing. And they're average players at best, some of them. So, MLB... You just have to do a a a better job in supporting and promoting baseball to underrepresented players in your in your league, the fan base, and and it goes from giving giving out tickets on a mass scale to them going to games. Those are the things you go to the game. Wow! Oh, I caught a ball at the game. Oh man, did you see him hit that ball so hard? You see him catch? Those are the things that those memories. I'm sure you and you got the same memories of me growing up going to Tiger Stadium and what happened. I was at the game when Jose uh no, when Mark McGuire hit the ball out of Tiger Stadium. I was there and I played for the A's in Little League and I refused to wear that my A's stuff to the Tigers game because I was a Tigers fan. But that was like a great moment. So those are the things that the same memories that, that any other player from any other sport has. So the thing is, if you don't want MLB to die, and you really got to have a desire not for it to die within the inner city, within urban or 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 impoverished uh, children, if you don't want it to die, then you need to do something in it. Because who's listening to the radio to games other than our parents and us? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I like I even like I like listening to it now sometimes more than watching it. Oh yeah, but definitely. who does that? Nobody does that. I mean, that's how I got but, into the sport because I I couldn't stay up and watch a lot of the late games, so I had a radio in my room, so I would listen to. That's how I got into shoot Monday Night Football, Major League Baseball. I would catch on the radio, and this was the local announcing, and definitely some of the This is when national was still creeping up, so you you were hard-pressed to find a bunch of different games, and I think that also plays a factor when fandom and 
recognizability, there's too many options. You have too many things that you can do other than watch a baseball game. You can do this. Mm-hmm. You can watch this sport. You can watch this show. Whereas when we grew up, the games were on NBC. So whatever right. program they had on was preempted. So you had no choice, even if it was a, a sitcom or something like that. If the Tigers were playing, you knew, oh, oh well, I guess I got to watch the game. And right. eventually it, it became a point where you like, okay, I look forward to seeing that Tiger at the end of the game with the, eating a the bat or whimpering because they won the loss. So, I mean, it's definitely one of those things where the league has to figure out what they're going to do as far as the rules because the rules and the regulations and the perception of the game itself is having a direct impact. And as long as they feel that they, they're about to have the genuine sport aspect of it supersede the 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 logic in some of these rules and some of the the how the how the game is played and handled, they're gonna lose guys. But we definitely gotta because we went over, but we definitely gotta get into this NBA finals and probably just make a quick prediction: who wins? And I mean, we already gave it in the point counterpoint, but who is your MVP? My MVP is going to be Steph Curry. Uh, I think that he just feels he has a lot to prove because a lot of people are not or did not buy into him being injured, even though he was injured during the finals. Uh, So I think that he's going to maybe use that as motivation. Uh, And with with a 1A, I say KD because I think KD, even though I didn't say he's a difference maker, I think that his his, – his uh, durability and and his mismatches that he creates really does uh, pose some problems for uh, nah, Cleveland. I mean, since I'm since I'm riding with Cleveland, I got to go with LeBron. I think this is his opportunity to really cement himself as the true upper echelon. Yeah, you're still gonna have the conversations about whether he's better than LeBron. I mean, better than Jordan or even better than Kobe, but He's going to let his play on the court decide that he's, this is definitely not going to be a situation like the 2011 finals against Dallas or some of these other games where he wasn't, he didn't impose his will because he, he knows the spotlight is on him. He knows this is a great opportunity to cement his, his legacy. So he's going to step up and the Cavs are going to take it in seven. Now, all right, so here's the thing. I had this question in there. So when it comes to legacy, who can can Steph by winning this submit or increase his legacy more than LeBron would submit his by winning this championship? Or does Steph just have more basketball to play and isn't neither here nor there? I think Steph still has a lot more to play. And and this this year we saw a lot of people come off of that Steph bandwagon. I mean, we saw last year and the previous year, oh, he's the greatest shooter. I mean, I think that still holds true potentially, but, oh, they were already getting his uh, his Hall of Fame, basketball Hall of Fame acceptance speech ready. And I'm like, hold, hold off, because he disappeared against in the finals last year, even with being hobbled. So we have to see him play on that big stage. And if he does it and he gets the MVP, I mean, it, it helps, but it still isn't because this would be his first finals MVP. This won't be that 
the same effect as it would before LeBron, who's chasing a higher power, a higher resume as far as the greats, whether it's um, Jordan, whether it's Kareem, whether it's Bill Russell. I think uh, Steph still has a lot of way to go, and the team still has some more to grow as a, a unit, whereas LeBron is still – this is – these are resume-cementing moments for him. Yeah, and once again, I mean, we'll see how it is. Once again, I think this is what everybody wanted. And I think if it doesn't go seven games and it's not a really great series, if it's a blowout after blowout, switching teams, it's going to fall short of what the NBA hopes it should be. So I hope it's a good series. Um, I don't have the, the disdain for LeBron and Cleveland. They got over the hump. Cleveland still sucks overall as a city. Sorry, family <laughs> from Cleveland, but. Um, but I think I think this is what the NBA wanted, so I hope that they get what they want in a good series. Uh, and I think a good series would be all seven games within ten points. Uh, I think that's fair. Say within five is unrealistic. But I mean, you had great series with Boston, Detroit back in the day, where a team, you know, I've seen back to back twenty point losses by both teams. But the overall series at the end, game seven or six, wherever it went to. Back then, five, depending on what round, it was good. So, we shall see. Well, with that, folks, I think we're about to blow this popsicle stand. Make sure you check out the podcast when it's up on the website. When it's up on, uh, make sure you subscribe. You go to blogtalkradio.com slash sportsqna. You can subscribe. You can go to iTunes and subscribe. So, when it's uploaded, you can get it. Uh, and make sure you pay attention. We got a lot, a lot of things coming up. Uh, check out some articles uh, on sports Q and A, Q A N D A dot com. And other than that, great people. We are out of here. We shall see you next week. Peace. Peace.